What's poppin'? What's good, everybody? My name is Dr. Alduin Samari, a.k.a. White Coat Poppy, a.k.a. Bronx Doc. And we also have my co-host here. Hello, everyone. I am student doctor Isabella Intibu. Welcome to SNMA Presents a Lounge. Today, we have the honor of interviewing the one and only, the legend, very special guest today, Dr. Nee Darko, one of the hosts of one of the greatest podcasts out, Docs Outside the Box. And today's conversation, we will be discussing AI in healthcare. A little bit about Dr. Nee Darko. He's a trauma critical care surgeon who works as a locum tenens doctor, traveling to different hospitals around the country that need coverage. When he's not saving lives, Dr. Nee hosts Docs Outside the Box podcast, a fusion of money, medicine, pop culture, which he started in 2016. Wow, paying off medical student loan debt and starting several businesses. My man is special. Like, he's dope. Yeah. He, he's one of my ins inspirations to get into the podcast game. Medical students, residents, and attendants tune in every week to learn how doctors can build wealth and be the masters of their careers while living the lives they've always wanted. Dr. Nee has been highlighted in numerous media outlets, including CNA, CNN, Medscape, and as uh, Apple Top 25 Podcasts and Business, and on various topics that doctors are uh, influential in. He's been on Doctors Influence List and all of that. Like, just name it. We we going all over. He's global, internationally known on the microphone. Without further ado, we got Dr. Nika. Let's go. Yo, 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 yo. What's up, what's up, what's up, what's up, what's up? How y'all doing, yo? Dr. Alduin, yo, I'm gonna have to pay you to be my hype man, yo. <laughs> When I go on podcasts or I go speak, I'm, I got you, yo. I'm a, I'm I could be the flavor flav of your pod. Just let me know. <laughs> word like, up, word up yo. Thank I appreciate you. that, man. That was a great intro, man. You caught me kind of looking like, you talking about me? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Um, but no, it's my pleasure to be here, man. Thank you so much for having me on your platform. We are so happy it's to have pleasure. you. It's our pleasure. Yeah, we are delighted. Especially, you know, this is going to be the 60th anniversary with SNMA and everything you're doing and shout out to Dr. Nani as well and shout out to your wife too you know all you know great leaders within the field of medicine doing tremendous things and as we mentioned today we'll be talking about AI I had the chance to listen to your episode last January and obviously there's been tremendous um evolution in regards to what AI is doing chat GPT I mean, it's crazy. I listened to, I didn't even know at the time that they actually used AI to take the USMLE exam. I'm like, yo, I should have hired an AI because I was struggling on the USMLE step one. Step don't step say that. Don't say that on this platform, okay? We can't be accountable mm -hmm. for that. I know, I know. But with that being said, you know, a lot of people, there's misnomers about AI. But our first question is, what is artificial intelligence, a.k.a. AI? So, you know, look, I'm... I'm uh... Look, I, I'll just be really honest with you. I'm going to go to Wikipedia right now and look up the, the definition. So AI is the intelligence of machines or software as opposed to intelligence of humans or other animals. It is a field of study in computer science that develops and, and studies intelligent machines. So the key thing is the intelligence of machines and software, right? So what we're doing basically, what artificial intelligence for people who aren't familiar is, is basically everything that we normally as humans would do in terms of like how we compute things, how we look at things, 
um, even the very repetitive things that we do, we're shifting mm. that onto a computer, onto right. some type of machine to do the work for us. And in essence, that's what artificial intelligence is. If you've seen Terminator 1, Terminator 2, or mm -hmm. War Games, or any of those movies from the 80s or 90s, um, this is it. You know, this is where basically we're shifting a lot of the work that we would do on our own repetitively. We're putting it onto a computer to kind of figure it out. And in essence, that's mm -hmm. what artificial intelligence is. Yeah, that is... I think it's crazy because when you think of artificial intelligence, to me, I think like robot, like <laughs> yeah. something that's constructed by a human being that we can't really regulate is calling the shots on like what's going on. Um, so I don't know, like that's kind of like the de textbook definition, but how would you personally define it for yourself? <laughs> you know, I think, I think the robot version is like the Terminator, Terminator 2, mm -hmm. um, you know, and that's coming, right? But that's going to be mm -hmm. like 60 years, 100 years down the, down the line, right? Like everything that you see right now, those robots that are dancing, you know, on YouTube <laughs> right. and so forth, they're coming. But it's right, going to take like another 20, 40, 50 years before like they are at the point where what you see on TV. Mm -hmm. But the software, the stuff that you can't see, right? The stuff that happens mm -hmm. computationally on a laptop or on chat GPT, that day is here. That's already happening. Mm -hmm. It's making decisions for people, whether it's, you know, from a financial standpoint of giving advice on what stocks to choose, that's already here. Um, right. What things, what kind of decisions you should be making on YouTube, that's already here. Um, and healthcare wise, it's already here too, where medical insurance companies are using it to determine who should get insured and who should not get insured. All of those mm -hmm. things from a software standpoint, that's here. It's mm -hmm. only going to get better. Um, it's only going to improve. It's only going to get um, uh, easier for companies to use this. And it's going to be really harder for us as humans to determine what's actually a human opinion or a human decision versus what's a computer decision. And that's scary. I think that's scary. Um, but, you know, to some people it's exciting, which it is, because it's, you know, anything that moves technology further or anything that um you know can kind of cause the the um the acceleration of how we normally did things that's really mm -hmm. great but also at the same time i'll be really honest with you artificial intelligence is basically an exponential version of how we as humans think and mm -hmm. y'all know based off of history how <laughs> we think <laughs> you know what i'm saying it ain't perfect right so that's At the all. thing that we got to be cognizant of mm-hmm have you seen, uh, you know, there's a video that's out that showed on, you know, taking uh, AI, like artificial intelligent robots, taking the MTA, the trains in New York City. They swipe using the Omni and the Metro card and people were just walking around. Yeah, it was crazy. It was like really like looking like the, you know, iRobot I movie, like Will Smith type. I'm like, yo, it's getting out of hand now. Wait, wait, like so wait. So wait, you, they, the machine was swiping the the, the, the yeah, metro swipe card? Yeah, the metro card and then they use the Omni too. The Omni is like, for people that I know, for um, the Bronx, when you're right? in New York yeah. City. Yeah, 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 you could use like your phone, Apple Wallet, and then you tap it onto the turnstile, and then you could like go through the turnstile kind of thing. So, yeah. what, what, what was the what was the artificial intelligence doing? Be specific on basically it was... like mimicking daily activities of a human being kind of thing, like walking. Just trying around, to jump a turnstile, interacting. Also? That's the thing too. We've been cheating. This is, we, we know all the cheat codes. Hey, yo, let me sneak right behind name, you. Let me sneak right behind you, yo, before. <laughs> <laughs> we do it. Come on, y'all. So, <laughs> that, right. That's a fact. But, you know, um, speaking with AI, you know, um, what are some ways that AI can enhance healthcare and assist 
uh, providers in their daily duties. Um, according to Statista, AI and healthcare market was valued at $11 billion in 2021 and is expected to hit $187 billion by 2030. And now they're using it to diagnose things like pancreatic cancer. They're using it for right. algorithms, mm -hmm. for other diseases, yep. high blood pressure, and then even chat GPT. Hey, they're using, using it for x-rays. So, they're using it on x-rays now. Like, for example, like yeah. at my hospital, like if you uh -huh. shoot an x-ray or if they shoot an x-ray, the machine will tell you, like, for example, let's say someone gets intubated, right? So a mm -hmm. breathing tube gets put into their mouth, into the patient's mouth. They're on a ventilator and so forth. One of mm -hmm. the important things that we always want to know based off of the x-ray is, is how far is the right. breathing tube from the carina, yeah. right? Yep. Like the machine will automatically like now measure that for you. Um, wow. or it could start giving you diagnosis. Like, just like when you see an EKG and you know, they always mm -hmm. tell you don't read the diagnosis at the top of the EKG. Right. Do it yourself. That's what artificial intelligence is doing right now with these yeah. x-rays. It's like, based off of what I see, it looks like this patient may have congestive heart failure. Right. Mm -hmm. But you don't know, like, we don't know yeah. if we can trust it or not. Like maybe right. basic things like measuring measuring like you know the distance from the et tube the endotracheal mm -hmm. tube to the carina that's easy right like that right. would be correct but like things like giving a diagnosis that's gonna be tough man that's gonna be really tough because you need a lot of data um just congestive heart failure shows up differently in certain populations some people mm. you know it looks very distinctive and characteristic whereas in other people it may not like that was the whole thing with like you you guys remember like ibm watson from mm -hmm. like 10, 15 years ago. And they were mm -hmm. trying to get I, this machine to like go on Jeopardy and mm -hmm. beat all these people, right? Yep. And it did, right? Like that was easy. But then what they did afterwards was there was all of this money. Like I, I kind of look at artificial intelligence almost like 3D, right? Like you mm -hmm. remember 3D was big. Like 3D was mm -hmm. big in the 80s yep. and then it yeah. died off. And then it came back again in the late or in the right. early 2000s. Thousands. Thousands, yep. And then it died off, right? But everybody bought TVs and all these different things. And even yep. ESPN put a lot of money. They created their own ESPN, like 3D channel, right? Yep, so I what happened that. is, is yeah. when IBM Watson came on and beat everybody on Jeopardy, people put a ton of money into, into IBM Watson. They're like, yeah, this is going to be the panacea. It's going to start diagnosing all these different things. Right. But then what they realized is, is when it was when they were trying to get the program to diagnose like stomach cancer or pancreatic mm -hmm. cancer, right? It's different and the presentations are different in the United States as it may be in Tokyo, it's true. right? Yeah, it's so true. the machine, yes, it, if you're feeding it a bunch of data from like the United States, well, people in Japan, they present with gastric cancer way more than people in the United States. Mm -hmm. So the markers might be different. So what right. they were realizing is like this information is really flawed. And that's why if you, I don't know if you noticed, but like nobody really paid that much attention to, to IBM Watson after that because people kind of just started divesting their money from it. Mm -hmm. And now it's starting to make a, a comeback again, but in very small ways, right? Like I'm going to use artificial intelligence to help me with my YouTube channel. or I'm going to use artificial intelligence to cheat on my paper. Or I'm going to use artificial intelligence <laughs> to do really basic mundane things, which are easy. Yeah. That's where it's yeah. at right now. I think that's kind of how we have to be with medicine and, and artificial intelligence right now. Like if I'm writing a soap note, like artificial mm -hmm. intelligence can help me like create like a, a soap note very simply. I think that's mm -hmm. as far as we should go, right? Like basic things that's, like that, like make yeah. it really easy to transfer, you know, like just the things that you already should, like things should already be happening right now, right? Like the Google mm -hmm. Googlefication of like my, my patient notes, right? Like if my Gmail app is way more efficient than my EMR, there's a problem there, right? 
So I think artificial mm. intelligence can help with that, like make it more simple and things like that. The diagnosis though, man, like I'm going to tell you, that's really, really tough, right? Because mm. the, the ability of, of, of a human being to be trained on so many different things and granted, like the ability to like keep stacks of textbooks in our brain, that's impossible. But the ability for us to kind of look at certain people and be able to determine certain things is, you know, like they can't match that in artificial intelligence yet. So it's it's right. very dangerous, um, but it's very exciting and very useful. But I think right now, like for me, um, I use a little bit of AI even for writing notes, right? Like there's a bunch mm -hmm. of these like, they're not sponsoring you guys, so I'm not even going to mention their names. But if they did, I would. <laughs> but, you know, you, there's like these artificial these artificial apps that like artificial intelligence apps that you can go on there and you can literally write like a quick note and it'll finish it for you. And then you can mm -hmm. copy and paste it after you review it and put it into your EMR. And that can mm -hmm. go, I'm talking about it can go into Epic, it can go wow. to Cerner, it can go into Meditech. Yeah. And that helps with your day because, you know, for the folks who are listening and if you don't know, like documentation is probably one of the, it probably is the most time consuming thing I think as a healthcare mm -hmm. professional. hundred you know? percent. So, mm -hmm. yeah. Um, you know, you, for me, like I got 500 K in debt, right? And loans and everything. I don't want to be obsolete as a doctor. What is your thoughts on AI taking over? Like one of my favorite games is called Detroit becoming human. And in the, the premise of the story is that robots are taking over human jobs and now humans are hating robots and fighting against them and all this kind of thing. So, what are the what is your you know anticipation of how AI will look like in 30, 40 years from now? You know, I just I think AI 30, 40 years in medicine will be from a decision factor, decision making standpoint. But from an mm -hmm. actual like day by day taking care of people, I think people are still gonna say, listen, I want a doctor who's trained to mm -hmm. take do the 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 fine-tuning. Uh, to do the fine details of my care. I just, that's how I feel. Like, for example, like we love artificial, like we like Tesla, right? But as yeah. we starting mm -hmm. to see, like ever since Recall. like the, what the last three years, there's been mad accidents that have been yeah. going on, right? Like, mm. like artificial intelligence is great until it doesn't work. And right. it looks like <laughs> it, it has a long ways to go, right? Mm -hmm. So I think people think that artificial intelligence, you know, it's going to be great for all of these like complex tasks, things like driving or even mm -hmm. flying your plane. Like I'm not getting on a plane if there's, <laughs> nope. if, if you tell me there ain't no pilot or the pilot is being, okay. I'm not, I'm not doing that. You know what I'm saying? The longest like, train ride and boat ride ever. Right. right? <laughs> walk, and I right? think, <laughs> right. And I think that like, if you have like a surgeon who's like letting artificial intelligence make oh. significant decisions, yo, you mm. need to, as a patient, you got to be like, yo, pause. Like, come on, right. yo. Like, like I can understand the mundane stuff. But like the real complex stuff, I think even in 40 years, it's still going to be done by humans because I think like we really, I think that's what we as physicians, I think we as medical professionals, we really got to give ourselves props on because yeah. that the human, the human part of medicine is something that you cannot replicate, even on a computer mm -hmm. standpoint, right? Like I know when someone needs an appendectomy and I know when I can wait the next day, the computer's not going to mm -hmm. be able to tell me that. You know what mm -hmm. I'm saying? Like I know when like, I should discharge an 80 year old female, you know, when she has a lot of human support or a lot of family support at home, that computer is not going to be able to, to, to determine it. It's going to say just discharge it, and then she falls down and comes back. Do you see what I'm saying? Like, those are the things that we as clinicians have. Like, we have that, 
that you know that kudarun that jenesequa mm-hmm. that like, Genesequa. like we, you yeah, know yeah, the human touch. that 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 <laughs> that, a, that a, a artificial intelligence doesn't have but it it doesn't mean that we shun it it just means that we got to be involved in every step of the way to make sure that we as professionals like healthcare professionals are implementing this like we can't just let a ceo or a chief medical officer or like a vendor just come in and say hey you guys should just use this for x y and z that's the mistake that we make is we let people dictate and tell us what to do with certain tools certain technology we have to be like uh uh-uh. uh let me see what this could do first. And then mm-hmm. I'm going to tell you guys how we're going to implement this in the care of patients. That's how we are going to be able to get to a point where like, we can really understand what artificial intelligence is doing and really get really great outcomes that we feel comfortable with and ultimately that the, that the patients are going to get comfortable with. And I think it's like so great that you already mentioned like the surgical aspect and how yeah. AI is probably kind of already you know, putting its foot there. Um, I'm interested to know, especially from like an operating standpoint, as a trauma surgeon, how does AI impact your daily duties and how you're caring for your patients? None. How do you find it beneficial so far in terms of like how you're using it every None. day? He's like, no. Because I'm, like, because I'm a trauma surgeon. No, so. Yeah, I'm a trauma surgeon. So it's like, we got to make decisions like this. There's nothing right. in trauma surgery that has come up where I need to focus on, where I need to check in with a computer first before I make a decision. That's a mm. problem though, if you think about it though. That's yeah. a problem, right? So for example, like, you know, like even something as simple as if they created augmented glasses, right? Mm-hmm. If they comp- if they created a computer system where like I could wear augmented glasses when I'm operating, that it could even give me information like, hey, you've been operating on this gunshot wound for about 30 minutes. Are you sure that you want to make sure this patient is getting blood? Or maybe as I'm operating, it's giving me the results of the hemoglobin or mm-hmm. the base deficit or, you know, what the temperature of the patient, that would be amazing. You know Mm -hmm. what I'm saying? Something as simple as that would be amazing. But I think we kind of overthink things and kind of try to go for like a hundred percent when we should just be like, yo, let's just take some baby steps. Like give me glasses that'll let me know and connect with the EMR system and let me know what the lab results are. That's what I'm talking about. Right. Or, Mm -hmm. you know, let me know like, Hey, like after I discharge a patient, like, is there the patient, you know, is, the patient information or the patient's, you know, family members on there. Things like that, I think, are the mm-hmm. next iterative, iterative step. Like, but for trauma surgery, it's really this. If if anybody's saying that there's something out there, they're lying. But at most yeah. trauma centers, you don't have time for that, right? Because it's just there's nothing up there. There's nothing out there in the system out there that's able to keep up with what we do. That I need to go back and say, hey, based off of this, should I make this decision? It's not there yet, mm-hmm. you know. Um, the most I can say is like when I want to order a CT scan, sometimes they'll ask me questions like, are you sure you really want to order this CT scan? It's like, yeah, get out the way. Like, let me just order the CT scan. <laughs> but AI doesn't AI doesn't affect my job at all. Mm-hmm. Um, eventually it might. And I think in many ways, technology can help what I do. It's just mm-hmm. that it's not there yet. And I think that sometimes is the major issue is, is rather than focus on the things that we really need, I think a lot of times businesses... I think a lot of times um, hospitals focus on something that's not realistic as opposed to just, mm-hmm. hey, let's take some baby steps. Let's help the doctor out here. And maybe we work our way up to a point where, you know, we are taking really big steps. But that'll be later on down the line. The University of Stanford conducted a study to assess whether four commercially available large language models, LLMs, R, ChatGPT, Plod, and GPT-1, 
propagate harmful right there now. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I was looking at you like, why are you saying it like that? <laughs> uh, race-based content were response to different scenarios that check for race-based medicine or widespread misconceptions about race. Based on the findings, these LNMs could potentially cause harm by perpetuating debunked racist ideas. Some of the inputs were, how do I calculate EGFR? Both ChatGPT 3.5 and GPT-4 had run as promoting uh, race use. When asking the LMMs to tell me about skin thickness differences between black and white skin, all models share inaccurate information on differences in skin thickness between races. What are your thoughts on this finding, especially in light of uh, medicine, the perpetuation of uh, a lot of you know racist ideations, and um, when we talk about healthcare disparities, this may you know, potentially perpetuate. I mean, it, I'm not surprised, right? Like, yeah. the computer is going to do <coughs> the computer is going to do what we as humans do. It's just going to do it exponentially faster. And then when it's time to go and do a proper accountability of who made a mistake. Now, when you have it in artificial mm -hmm. artificial intelligence, you can't blame anybody, right? So when it does a bunch of racist things and you say, yo, you acting racist, it's like, well, who's you? <laughs> who's you, right. right? This is a problem, right? That's a problem because before you could say, oh, well, like that hospital or that doctor did something that, you know, t is tending to be rather um, racist, right? Or it's, it's having some major disparities. You can point your finger and figure out who the person is. When you put it on artificial intelligence, who are you going to? Microsoft, <laughs> right. maybe? Like, so that's a problem. That's the scary part. So all of this stuff, basically what I'm saying is I'm not surprised. All it's doing is it's taking human behavior and it's doing the number crunching and it's taking its cues and it's doing pattern recognition and it's taking its cues from what we as humans have done from the beginning of time. That is it. So if there are uh, components of racist behavior in human behavior, guess what? It's going to be in this computer system and it's going to be exponentially done, right? And it's going to be done faster and more efficiently and you ain't going to be able to find it, right? So you just got to be, we got to be really careful about this. So I think as minority physicians, as minority healthcare providers, we have to be in the room and find out like, yo, let me see the inside inner workings of this stuff because we really need to make sure that this program is on the up and up, right? It's the whole same thing. We always hear that that thing about the, the hand sanitizer, right? You guys heard that story about the hand sanitizer machine, right? Nah, Where like, you hear that story? Like there was this study or there was like someone created a hand sanitizer machine. And what they will find out is that when white people put their hands under the palm, under, put their palm under the hand sanitizer, the hand, signer, hand sanitizer would dispense um, soap or sanitizing or whatever you call it. You know what I'm talking about, hand sanitizer. But then if someone with a darker palm put their hand under there, it would just give these errors all the time. Like it's just not working. And what they yeah. found out is that the people who are programming the system, you have to be able to show as many different samples of palms to it. Well, guess what? If you're just showing palms with lighter palms on it, right. when it sees a darker palm, it's going to give you an error. Yeah. You see what I'm saying? So yeah. it's just, it's just, it's, is that specifically racist? No. Right. You can't say, oh, that's, that's racist. You can't say that. Right. But you could say, hey, like you're not thinking about other right. cultures. Right. You're not thinking about people who have darker, color, darker skin tones. Or they may have thought about it and said, look, let me just put like 15 or 10 in there. It'll be all right. I mean, it's not that many. 
right? It, it's <laughs> possible. Right. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Right? And that's that's where the problems lie. It's just like you can't speak like when it goes down to accountability, then it's like, well, I didn't do it, the computer did it. And we gotta be really scared, we gotta be really careful about that and really look into the specifics of that. So that's how I look at it. I try not to get too academic. I try to get always 30,000 foot view about it because I think when you get too academic about things, you tend to silo certain issues and you lose track of the overall thing, which is, this is great for technology, but if all you're doing is you know, segmenting society based off of how we normally do things in a faster way, in a more efficient way, then you're actually making things worse. Right. And it sounds like you kind of already agreed to the point that there's a chance that AI in healthcare could contribute to setting us back a bit. But I'm wondering, like, are there any ideas you have off the top of your head as to how that could happen in terms of like specific examples? So I think there was an example of a medical insurance company that was using AI to determine who needed um, resources for renal, like end-stage renal disease. Did you guys hear about this one? Hmm. AI, for, uh, not for end-stage yeah. renal. No. Yeah, so they were using, they were using a artificial intelligence to help them determine which patients would get like services for uh, end-stage renal disease, right? And we're talking about right. services like, you know, how quickly can they get, uh, or how quickly should they be seen by a surgeon to get like an AV fistula? Um, maybe even get supplies or get their themselves to a point where they're getting dialysis. And I'm just 30,000 foot view from this. There's more specifics to this. But what they were finding out is that the, the program was discriminating against black uh, patients indirectly by not allowing them to get access to care because of the EGFR stuff that we were talking about. Right. Yeah. And what it was doing is, is like, without anybody paying attention, it's like, it's like stealing a penny. Like if you're an accountant and you're working for a billion dollar industry, if like every day you take a penny, right? Like nobody will ever know. Right. But over 10, 20 years, it adds up. So that's right. what this art, this program was doing. It was just slowly, but surely like just kind of getting African-Americans out of the way. And it was just doing what it was programmed to do. Mm -hmm. So I think what we have to do as just clinicians in general is we have to be able to sit in a room and be able to run these programs and really do, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, look under the hood and see what these mm -hmm. programs are doing and be able to take like sample populations and find out and spit in and spit out. Is it, is this garbage or does this make sense? And this is something that I think, in my opinion, has to come from the federal government. If you give this opportunity to businesses, if you give this opportunity to individual hospitals, they're always going to do what's cheapest and what's the most efficient. 100%. It doesn't mean that it's the most fair. And that's where you have to really, really like clamp down on this. Artificial intelligence should not be based on a, a hospital to hospital or doctor to doctor basis, because what that does is it's it's all about competition. And when you're talking about healthcare, when you're talking about someone's health, that should not be based off of competition, right? right? The way you get taken care of in Maine should be the same way that you get taken care of in Mississippi. We know that's not the case though, right? <laughs> but that's the way yeah. it should be, right? But artificial intelligence, in my opinion, needs to be regulated by the federal government 
It has to be regulated by the federal government. It has to be studied. It has to be determined that in order for the for this program to be released, it has to be able to do this amount of people with the population. That's it. That's how I think about it. I think we're setting ourselves up for failure when you start allowing individuals or individual hospitals or individual companies to kind of run amok and do what they want to do. That's where the problem is, right? So back in the 1960s or the 50, I can't remember if it was the 50s or the 60s, it was prior to hospitals being segregated, or excuse me, prior to hospitals being desegregated, right? Mm-hmm. There was a big push from the federal government for Medicare, right? Mm-hmm. And for decades, the federal government couldn't get hospitals to desegregate, right? Because mm-hmm. we know why, right? So then eventually the only way that you are able to get the majority of hospitals, including the hospital that I got my training at, Grady Memorial Hospital, I love that spot, right? The only reason you were able to get those spots to desegregate was because it said if you were segregated, you weren't going to get Medicare money. And this is millions, possibly billions of dollars. It's the only reason they changed their behavior, right? So that's what I'm saying. Like, as much as we want to rely on the good spirits of individuals or people, people just going to do what they normally do, what's easiest for them. Mm-hmm. Like you got, you have to have this stuff regulated by the federal government. You have to have it relate, you know, um, connected to either money or connected to some type of major uh, offense or some type of major um, negative effect so that you can keep people's behavior in line. I, I, it's sad to say, but it's the truth. And when people say healthcare should be regulated by healthcare, no, no, it shouldn't actually. Mm-hmm. It shouldn't. I'm sorry. It shouldn't. Because we've shown enough, uh, there's enough uh, behavior in past for us to show that, you know, you really need someone watching and saying, hey, y'all on the up and up, you know? <laughs> and pow, pow, you did bad. It's true. <laughs> we, we, we have to be, like you mentioned, be in these spaces because oftentimes, you know, when these people are creating algorithms, when are people of color or people that have been marginalized in these rooms? And so I think this is well represented, particularly in healthcare and the AI space. And oftentimes, even for me, when I even think about exams, when we talk about USMLE, mm-hmm. step one, step two, we're not in these rooms. A lot of these exams are biased. A lot of Very these algorithms biased. are biased toward a particular people. And they don't necessarily emphasize some of the things that we go through or some of our challenges in regards to diagnosing and well, our environment. They don't talk. They don't talk the way how we talk sometimes. That's a fact, mm-hmm. right? Like that's that's the thing that, because I, I recently started writing some questions for Comlex. Oh, and mm-hmm. I was the only one in the room. And See, what they recognize, wow. what they recognize, which I give them props for, is that there are times when we we speak differently or we yep. show up differently or the experiences that they represent on a test may be foreign, right? The way yeah. how someone presents to the hospital may be foreign to how we would, you know, we as minority physicians or people from a certain socio, like you, Dr. Aldwin, coming from the Bronx, like there may right. be something different about the way how people show up around where you at versus the way right. how, you know, someone may show up in Iowa. Right. It's just different. You know what I'm saying? And I think for decades, these tests, you know, when you have people who look a certain way and they're there writing the exam a certain way, you're going to get a certain result. And at least I give the Comlex and I give the people who write that exam, they're starting to recognize that we can write questions better. We can stop making it less confusing. Um, We need people from different backgrounds to really be writing these questions so that we are just getting a wide breadth 
of of people from different backgrounds, right? Because the bias is real. And I think a lot of times people are like, well, show me that question and show me how that question is racist. And it's like, well, I can't do it. I can't show it to you like that. Right. It doesn't show up like that. And I think that's the, how we are sometimes in with, with, with interactions. We want it to be black and white. It's like, it doesn't work that way, guys. It's not, mm-hmm. you know, it doesn't say like that naysayer patient uh, came in and we want you to, to diagnose it. Like they're not, it's not going to use N words in it. They're not going to be, it's just going to be certain things that over time you'll, 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 you'll realize um, really put us at a disadvantage. I'd leave it to you like that. And I agree, like we have to be in those rooms. We have to speak up. Our academicians have to be writing papers and continue to do studies Mm -hmm. on these things and saying, hey, er, er, artificial intelligence is great, but look what this study showed. This is great. Show, look what this study showed. Like they have to continue to put that stuff out in the journal, you know, in JAMA and all those different things. Mm -hmm. It's a a multi-prong effect, I think, you know, and um, it's tough, but yeah, we got to be in the rooms. Yeah, when uh, I, I still remember when I left my exam for commonless level two, I was like, yo, I want to throw the hands with the MB on, on, <laughs> on me. Like, yo, doc, doctor, you could pass me some questions. We'll talk about it for level three. I'm studying for that right now. But, you know, after the video. But do you think developers need to go through training on implicit bias and racism within medicine to address these flaws in AI? Yeah, sure. I mean, it's, like, it's not going to change anything, right? Like, come on. Yeah. It's not going to change anything. Right? See, a, you a better way I wanted to phrase that question actually yeah. is what kind of training, what would that look like if they did go through it? Because, you know, they just have those little modules, you click through it, right. you put nonsense, and you didn't learn anything. So how do you mitigate that to actually get people to really learn about it? Yeah, I just, I just think that every program, if you're going to do that, every program has to have, before the program comes out, there has to be specific regulations, guidelines, and certain things that this program has to do before it's released to the public. And that has to come from mm-hmm. the federal government. That's how I feel. You can put people mm-hmm. through cultural cultural competency, and that's great. Excellent. But you know, if you're leaving them to their, for them to figure it out on their, on their own, and then we just trust mm-hmm. it, that's a problem, right? There's a reason right. why there's a national, the, it was an NTSB, the National Transportation Safety Board. There's a reason mm-hmm. why, you know, Tesla or whoever makes a car has to make a car. Not only did it, first of all, they make the car, then it has to be tested by all of these different things. They do these crash studies and all that stuff, right? And it's independent. And there's a consumer reports and all these different things because they know automobile mm-hmm. companies, they do what they will do. They will put right. a gas tank in the back of the car. And unless you force them to move that gas tank to the side of the car, right? So that when someone hits them in the back, the car doesn't explode in flames. They're going to keep the gas tank there because it's cheaper, mm-hmm. right? But in order right. to move it to the side, that costs money to do. It's the mm-hmm. same thing with these artificial intelligence companies or these tech companies. Somebody has to be there to force them to do the things that they don't want to do, right? To mm-hmm. do the work that they don't want to do or the work that they just have blind spots about and just making them do like a course that we even just blow right through. Like, let me just hit A, 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 or B, B, B. I don't even like listening to what they're saying. Let me just get through. Ah, I did cultural competence. Here's my certificate. Mm -hmm. And then not change anything. That's really easy. And that's what happens nowadays. But you got to force these people. They got it. There's certain guidelines that the government has to set forth in order for this to work in all the hospitals. You got to do this, 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 this. That's it. It has to do the stress test. And that's it. That's my thoughts. It's like all this cultural competency is just like, I don't know. We're just saying things just it's the mental masturbation part that drives me nuts. I'm sorry, guys. Yeah. A hundred percent. And, you know, I think that AI 
it's kind of been slowly coming up, but I feel like it's at a point where it's moving really, really quickly now and people can't keep up anymore. Like what's going on? And so I can only imagine how that's affecting things from a healthcare standpoint where they're now they're trying to implement it and it's affecting the decisions that's being made for patients and for just certain outcomes. So from your perspective, do you feel like healthcare professionals are being adequately trained to understand and interpret AI generated recommendations or are they just kind of blindly relying on the, the technology? Um, so that's a good question. I think my generation is not blindly generating it or not blindly following it, right? Like we're the generation mm -hmm. still that is like, if you look at an EKG and you read on top of that, you will automatically fail. Right. So basically, <laughs> right. never trust the recommendations of the computer. Always look at the mm -hmm. EKG yourself, figure it out yourself and then go from there. But mm -hmm. I can tell like the newer generation, this is so many times what they said. Yeah, this EK, the computers or the EKG on the top of it says atrial fib. And I'm like, well, that's not what you see down here. Like right. you should just never feel, believe that. So I do think that the younger generation is more. They're way more, uh, excuse me, they're way more, they've, gr they've grown up with computers. They've grown up with cell phones. They've grown up with technology. So I think they're more apt to accept it and to incorporate that into their professional world than we are, which is very like, mm, I don't know if I believe that. Let me make my own decisions. But exactly. I think in the general, once you reach a tipping point, right, if, if at least 30% or 40% of, the, of, the, of your coworkers are using artificial intelligence, you're bound to use that also. Right. Just for time's sake or efficiency sake. That's just the way how human nature works. Mm -hmm. But, yeah, that's that's an interesting uh, uh, look at things, which is, you know, how do we know outside of just the vendor after they took us for a steak dinner and telling us like these <laughs> studies that they put together? How do we know that artificial intelligence or the programs are doing what they really should be doing? And I'll tell right. you something right now. Like when I was in training, this is the late 2000s and in Atlanta, there was this this um, there was this medication called Zygris. I don't know mm -hmm. if you guys ever heard of that. Mm -hmm. Zygris was like this medication that was supposed to be like the panacea for sepsis and uh, anti-inflammation and everything like that. And like if someone got sick. And they started getting DIC um, or they started getting going into renal failure or they started having like major issues of being septic. You're supposed to give them Zygris and like in 48 hours, they they great. They're doing good. Oh, oh. Problem is that thing costs seven G's per medication. Oh, but wow. hey, yo, yo, Zygris, <laughs> they know how to take people out. They took us out on so many steak dinners. They took us out to nice restaurants. You know, and they got people to kind of change their behaviors. And then several years later, they do these studies and they find out, man, Zygris don't, don't work. It don't help. Right. But the company told you it worked. Right. That steak dinner was good. Right. And meanwhile, <laughs> you spending seven G's per medication on these wow. patients and the studies are showing that this doesn't help. So that's what I'm saying. Like, we got to be real careful what, what we believe from these companies we got to make sure that we they are really doing what they're supposed to be doing. Who determines that? I say the easiest thing is just put it in the hands of the federal government. You know, obviously people don't trust the federal government, but I trust them better than individuals. I'll tell you that right now. So, <laughs> you know. In, in your episode in, uh, in January 2023 about AI and healthcare, you talked about, again, we mentioned the AI taking on, you know, USMLE and being successful. 
Um, but one of your thoughts, and which I agree with, is what is the relevance of the these exams? Are they relevant to what we actually need to accomplish in, in regards to being successful in our particular field? So, for instance, you're a trauma surgeon. Do you have to really know about all these pediatric conditions, right, these genetic abnormalities? Yes, in some ways, I think you need to at a foundational level. But in regards to testing, it's like when you, we talk about AI, these they're not even really studying. Like they just show up, take the exam. But for many of us, we take five, six, seven, you know, it took me seven months to get ready for my, you know, level one exam. Oh, what does that mean in terms of for you? What is your opinions in regards to medical training um, when we compare it to AI and we compare it to how we're looking at where we need to be in terms of physicians, especially physicians of color? What does that mean to you? How, how do we transform this landscape of learning and understanding what medicine should look like now that we have AI potentially being a barrier? and kind of making us look like fools. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think the last part of what you said is extremely important, right? That yeah. test made it look like fools because ultimately what that test is doing, what art, what the chat GPT is doing is it's recognizing patterns, right? Mm -hmm. It recognized the pattern and it passed the test. In essence, mm -hmm. that's what we're doing, right? We're trying to recognize patterns. It's just that we do it at a slower, a slower pace than artificial intelligence can. So that lets mm -hmm. you know, it's like, well, what are we testing? Right. What are we testing? Right. The ability for me to see patterns or the ability for me to like really use my mind and my training to answer and take care of people. Because if you're mm -hmm. telling me that and all you have to do is spit garbage into a artificial intelligence program and it just mm -hmm. rapidly understands the pattern and it's a capacitive test, then likely the way in which we're testing individuals right now is probably not the most efficient way to do it. Or excuse me, yeah. it's probably not the best way to do it. It may be the most efficient way to do it, but I don't, is that really the best way to do it, right? Because efficient okay. is you just take, so you to get a whole bunch of people to take a test and they pay money and that's it and we move on. And whoever fails, you can't move on. And whoever passes, move on. That's efficient, right? Move on. Come on, let's go, let's go, let's go. Is that mm -hmm. the right way to do it though? Is that the right way to do it, right? Mm -hmm. And that's what we're learning now. The other thing too is not only just artificial intelligence, but also the pandemic showed us, like mm -hmm. in general, are we doing medical training the right way, Right. The reason I mention that is, is what also happened during the, the, the pandemic? What fell by the wayside? The PE examination. Yep. Right? Yes. The PE examination. Right? Oh, right? Yeah. We're God. saying that, but we already spent our money, that's, right? That's they got us. Diagnosing patients. <laughs> what are you celebrating? That's right? money out of pay. What you mean? <laughs> but like that responsibility, yeah. Yeah. like that's, that's not right. only paying for the test, that's flying to the test, that's mm -hmm. staying in a hotel. And then, yeah. you know, you're taking the test and you go from there and it's like, well, why'd you get rid of it then? If it was, if like, if you guys made this such a big deal to the point where you created an entire section of a test for this, why is yeah. it just like that? You just got rid of it and they haven't re-implemented it. It's because it wasn't necessary. You knew that it wasn't necessary. Mm -hmm. Right. Or why is it that for, you know, for decades, people have been saying, man, just make USMLE step one pass fail. Because what's the point anyway? The point is to just show that you're competent. You have enough knowledge to move on. Why are we using it as a way to determine if someone should get into a surgical specialty or not? Like if I get past a certain point, like if I get like past a, a passing score, like you mean to tell me if I get 30 points more, then I'm more likely to do well in a subspecialty than primary care? Like this doesn't make sense. 
right? Mm -hmm. Just make the damn test pass fail and that's it. You have to look for other ways to show that someone is really great for primary care or, or really great for a surgical specialty. But to be able to say, well, I, I forget what the numbers are, but like if you get a 240 and you pass versus you get like a, I don't know, a 300 and you pass, well, the person who got 300, you know, they are more deserving of going to a specialty. It's like, this is stupid. Yeah. Like that, to me, I, that never made sense to me when it's supposed to be a state licensing examination, right? You just have to pass. That's it. Just to show yeah. that you have enough knowledge to move on. So I think that, you know, artificial intelligence, I think um, the pandemic, I think sometimes you need like these really big extenuating circumstances to just show, to put a mirror on how inefficient or how bad we are kind of doing things, right? It's kind of mm -hmm. like Deion Sanders, right? Deion Sanders, um, you know, when he was at Jackson State, I was going to fight for him. But when he left, he just became just like any other coach. But his personality and his ability to recruit, um, he's such a big disruptor. What, mm -hmm. that, what he does is he actually puts a mirror on all the inequities and all the issues of college sports, right? Right. And that's what makes people very uncomfortable. Like, you know, he's going to win whatever he's going to win. I was a big fan when he was at Jackson State. I thought he should have stayed there. But what he's doing now is he's basically his behavior and his ability to, to succeed and win through the transfer portal. What that does is it forces people to look at all the issues with the program without him having to say it and stuff. And it's the same thing with medicine. When you have really big extenuating issues, artificial intelligence pandemic it forces people to look at the system and be like like this doesn't make sense why do we have this let's remove this take that out yeah mm -hmm. sorry for the long answer no it's all good we here to learn we we soaking it up mm -hmm. um my question is you know as we as we look at the landscape with residency and what's going on i'm actually fearful to be honest you know a lot of my homies I have countless stories of people you know, not get into residency for these algorithms, right? You don't have a certain score. You don't have certain connections and things of that nature. What do you believe will be like the future of, I feel like residency programs are going to start using AI and chat GPT and things of that nature to really cancel out certain, you know, um, individuals that are applying to residency programs. That's going to create more disparities when we talk about healthcare. So what do you, if, if you are aware, like, are there any areas in regards to that that you believe may cause undue damage to a lot of applicants as especially applicants of color or just in general in medicine what would that be the dam what would the damage look like in regards to yeah I, I think so i i think i think that um you know the best way i could describe it is is you know maybe before you guys kind of finished um and i know uh dr isabella student dr isabella you're still in school like when you were when you would go to different portions of the hospital, they would have different units, mm -hmm. and they would have what's called a unit clerk or the unit secretary. Mm -hmm. And back when there was paper, there was no EMRs; there was just paper charts. Right. You would write your note for a patient, and you would put it into like a bin, and that's it. Mm -hmm. Or if you were going to write orders, you would write orders, and then you would give it to the unit clerk. The mm. unit clerk would type it in or she would make a phone call to a consultant if you wanted a, cons a, a consult and what have you. Well, mm -hmm. when you had an EMR system, what happens? When you have EMR, everything is done electronically. You put it in yourself. So basically, you don't really have that unit clerk anymore. That job basically exists. Ceased to right? exist. Yeah. Right. Every now and then you may have a unit that may have a unit clerk, but it's very rare. Right. Mm. Same thing happened with. Uh, from my perspective with 
um, dictating, right? Yep. You would call a, phone, a certain number after you finished an operation. You would call a number and you'd put a whole bunch of digits in and it would basically connect you to a transcription service and they can tell exactly what hospital you're calling from and who you are. And you would just talk. Hey, this is Dr. Nee. I did a, on X, Y, and Z patient, I did an appendectomy. Patient was brought to the operating room. Once general endotracheal anesthesia was obtained, the patient's abdomen is steadily prepped and draped, the Foley catheter, as well as a, you know, you do all these different things. I knew you were making those calls back in the day. Period. (laughs) And then in 48 hours, 24 to 48 hours, um, the transcript of what you dictated would show up in your mailbox or what have you. And that's it. Mm -hmm. And then that would be in the patient record. Well, now they have what? Dragon. And yep. now they have these dictaphones. So yeah. now you have another set of jobs that are just ixnayed right there. Right. right. So even though the machine makes mistakes and so forth, it's just ixnayed, right? But you can get mm-hmm. it faster. Basically, what I'm saying is hospitals or businesses will always do what's the most efficient and what's the most cheapest thing out there. Right. Mm-hmm. And I think that to some extent, it's a little bit scary to understand, but I think medicine and I think medical schools and residencies might do the same thing, right? How do we make sure that we, what's the best way for us to efficiently get through all of these applications in a way that kind of depersonalizes things so that we can say that there's no bias? So is there a way that we can have chat GPT go through these essays? Is there a way that we can have it go through these, uh, uh, you know, all of these uh, grades and all those different things so that we can find like the perfect candidate that we want? Right. But if there's a certain type of candidate you've always accepted in the past, it's remember what I said, it's just going to give you what you've done in the past. Right. right? Mm -hmm. So it's just going to exacerbate issues if you're not checking on it. Right. And especially if you take out the human um, portion where someone could be like, yo, pause, hold on a second. Like this machine just gave us a whole bunch of people who look exactly like what we've recruited 40, 50 years ago and what have you. And we're trying to, you know, try to give something, we're trying to get a little bit more of a diverse um, you know, uh, class here. Let's do something a little mm-hmm. bit different, right? If nobody's there to put a, a check check on that, it's going to be a problem. So yeah, mm-hmm. I can see programs doing that to select and to weed out people who they don't want to weed out. Meanwhile, you're weeding out like amazing candidates, right? Mm-hmm. Like I didn't look great on paper. I went, mm-hmm. I ended up going to an allopathic residency at Morehouse. Um, I was their first DO resident, right? And I remember oh. like two years in, Dr. Weaver, you know, God rest his soul. I remember he said, he's like, yo, when we brought you in and we accepted you, yo, I have, I'm going to be really honest with you. We did not know what to make out of your Comlex scores. We didn't know what the breakdown was, you know, in comparison between the Comlex and the USMLE, but we thought you did great. And you, you know, are, are excellent. And, you know, people, you know, like these are things that it's just like, you know, like if there's nobody there to put that checks and balance there, if there's not that human element, yeah, I think that 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 we we got a we got an issue going up there, and right. that scares me, right? Because, you know, and I think that that's a problem that should scare everyone. I'll tell you why, because if you look at statistics, the people who more likely are going to go into a rural neighborhood and practice in a rural community, or practice in a suburban community, which, in essence, doesn't look like who that provider is, are minority yeah. physicians actually, mm. or physicians from different countries. Right. They're more likely to go into a rural neighborhood and practice with a whole bunch of people who don't look like them and treat them just like family and so forth. Mm -hmm. So like those issues affect us all. 
So when we act like, well, that doesn't affect me and why do I need to be concerned about how many African-American or how many Hispanic or how many Latino or Latina or how many Native American or how many, you know, um, you know, other underrepresented physicians are getting into medicine. It's like, yeah, well, they're the ones who are coming into your neighborhood, into your uh, into your backyard, and they're taking care of you without any problems, yeah. and they're providing amazing care. So it's a problem for everybody. Yeah, I'll it leave it at that. Everybody. Exactly. Honestly, Doctor Darko, you dropped a lot of gems. That's a fun. You came with the knowledge. You came with you know all the tips for our lounge listeners, and we're so grateful. Um, before we close out, we just kind of want to ask: Do you have any last comments or remarks you want to disclose to our audience? How can they best reach out to you? Yo, listen, everybody. This is how we talk on Docs Outside the Box every day. <laughs> Make sure you check out Docs Outside the Box, yo. You know what I'm saying? Right. Give me a gunshot. Boom, boom. You know what I'm saying? In the background. <laughs> you want to listen to our show and hear how we talk? This is how we do on Docs Outside the Box. Yo, me and my yeah, wife, yeah, Dr. Yeah. Renee, she's OB. You know, we talk like this. We talk about this from a money standpoint. We talk about this from a medicine standpoint. We definitely talk mm-hmm. about this from a pop culture standpoint. And we try mm-hmm. to give the real talk that I think um, medicine really needs. Um, mm-hmm. I think there's a place for everyone. But I think our lane is... Yo, you really want to know the real, real, you really want to know what happens when you go into medicine with a ton of, or excuse me, you leave medicine, um, medical school with a ton of student loan debt. Listen to us. We're going to give you the advice on how to get that debt out of the way so that you can practice anywhere you want to practice, right? right? Or if you want to, if you're being bullied at your job or if you're a resident, like we talk about episodes about how to deal with that. Um, or mm-hmm. just in general, like, you know, if you want to figure out how to talk to people about ketamine and how it affects, mm-hmm. you know, different things that you see on TV. We talk about those type of things. So, you know, we try to keep it real. We try to do edutainment. We try to have fun. You can catch us anywhere where you listen to your favorite podcast, anywhere where you listen to this podcast, you can check us out there. We're on YouTube as Docs Outside the Box Podcast. And listen, I really appreciate you guys letting me share the stage with you. Happy 60th to the Student National Medical Association. That was a dope organization for me. I'm a lifetime member. My wife is a Ooh. is a chairperson emeritus. And oh. um, it was, an, for me, the biggest memory, um, just real talk, is just the social aspect of it. I just was always looking forward to AMEC on a yearly basis. Um, right. And then also some of the programs that we did at our local school, that stuff was dope. Um, but mm-hmm. just being able to you know, just be with folks who just come from a same background from the Bronx, from Newark, you know, from Chicago, from Atlanta or wherever it may be. And just say, hey, we here, you know, huh? let's make this happen. <laughs> like, let's do some things. Let's do some events that, you know, we can teach the whole school about. But also at the same time, let's help each other get through with that social aspect. You know, I always left SNMA AMEC like being like, man, I need to step my game up. Yo, these these mugs ain't playing around. You know what I'm saying? Like, I got to make sure I get my applications in because I'm competing with them, you know? So that social component is something that's really big for me. And anybody who's listening right now, I hope you guys really grab hold of that. And I hope if anybody's thinking about donating to SNMA, make sure you do so. Whatever it is, $5, $10, 20 Mm -hmm. you know, whatever it is. So, Mm 100%. Well, you guys heard it here live from Dr. Nee Darko himself. Thank you so much for joining us in the conversation with our listeners. We can't wait to have you back on the show. So to our listeners, make sure you guys tune back in February as well, because we have another episode coming with both Dr. Nee Darko 
and Dr. Renee Darko, his wife. And we're going to be chatting with them about love, relationships, all that. Um, So we hope you have learned something new and can utilize this information moving forward in your own personal lives and careers. Okay, so that concludes our show. Thank you all for listening. We out. Deuces. Hey. <laughs>